Good morning. morning. As he said, I'm Randy Brown, and the most important thing you need to know about me is that Jesus loves me. And uh, that's the most important thing you need to know about you, too. And I just want to share some of that this morning. I hope I have a picture of my family. I don't know if it made it or not. I emailed it between first and second service. That's most of my family right there. That's uh, six of my seven kids and my beautiful wife, Anda. I have another picture of McKenna because she's actually in uh, Greece right now. She's spending the summer working with Antioch as, as a host there uh, for the whole summer. So we miss her, but maybe she'll get to listen to this. Who knows? <clears throat> Let me start with prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing this morning with your body. It is an honor to be in this place, to be able to share a message. And I just consecrate it to you, Lord. I pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, even what I say, and that beyond the words that I say, God, that you would come in your spirit and touch our hearts and move us to be changed, to be drawn more into relationship with you. We love you, God, and we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. I just really have one thing to say this morning, one message. It comes from John chapter 5. And Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was the day that you're supposed to rest. So the religious people got real mad at Jesus. And to defend himself, he said, my father is always at his work. And that's the verse this morning. That's the message. Our father is always at his work. And as I was thinking about the sermon and and beginning to prepare, I thought, what would happen if every one of us constantly was aware that God is always at his work? What if we'd woken up this morning just thinking about God's at work? What's God doing? And paying attention to him around us in our work or at school or at home with our kids. What if every moment of every day we had in mind that God was working and we could join with him in what he's doing? I remember the first time I heard this verse, I'd I'd actually heard it before, I'd read it before, but I was eighth or ninth grade, and my brother, my oldest brother Todd, had gone off to college. And he came back, and he was all excited about this Bible study called Experiencing God. Uh, Of course, that's the the series that we're in, and I, uh, when I heard I was preaching on this series, I thought, I know this, I've done this. But Todd came back, and and he said, I've got this great Bible study, and my dad and I were sitting with him at, at coffee shop or a restaurant somewhere and we said well what's it about he said it's about how God's always at work we're like yeah I mean that's that's great but that's not terribly profound and that's probably what y'all are thinking right now but um but he, he pulled out a little napkin he drew us this picture and he said what we do most of the time and this has certainly been my experience up to that point is we treat God as if he's the master and we're the servant and he gives us a command we go off and do it We come back, and hopefully we've done a good job, and he gives us another command. We go do it again. And we go, and we come, and we do God's work, and we come back to God for more assignments. And he said, that's not how it's supposed to work. And I thought, what else is there? And he showed me this picture. He said, God is always at work, and his primary goal is relationship with us. That he's not about getting stuff done, because he's already doing it. He's about relationship with us, and he offers us an invitation. He speaks to us. And as he speaks... It brings us to this crisis of belief. We have a choice to make. We can either say, yes, I'm going to join with God in what he's doing, or I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. And as we say yes to what God's doing and joining with him, we adjust our lives and we obey and experience him. And because God's always working, that cycle never ends. We come back to the beginning relationship and we listen to God. He invites us by speaking to us with another invitation to join with him in what he's doing. 
And over and over again, we come to these crises of belief where we have a choice. Are we going to join with God in what He's doing? Or are we going to keep doing our own thing? And every time we say yes, we experience Him in new ways. And it is beautiful. So I, I heard that as a ninth grader, and I went out and bought the Bible study. And I did the whole thing, and it changed my life. And then a few years later, I did it again, and it changed my life again. And I did it again. I've done it three times, actually. So I highly recommend experiencing God, the Bible study. It really has shaped everything about who I am. The best picture I have for this whole thing is that I'm a three-year-old little kid, and my dad is a master carpenter. And he's invited me onto the job site, and he's building this beautiful house. And as a little three-year-old, I've got a choice. I can pick up a hammer and some boards and some nails and start putting something together on my own. And it might be fun, and it might be kind of cool, but it's, in the end, a pile of boards. But God's invitation is that I can come and work with Him, and He'll wrap His hand around mine, and we can hammer the boards together. And in the end, we can build His house. And that picture kind of breaks down practically when you think about it. Because no guy, no dad, even the best carpenter can't take a three-year-old and build a house with him. But God's better than that. And the God who can build a beautifully crafted home by guiding the hands of a three-year-old is a master craftsman indeed. And every one of us is invited to do this thing that God's doing. And it's really amazing. He lets us use the saw even, the power tools. It's great. So I decided to try this out in my life. And, And I could give countless stories of examples where God's invited me to join with him in what he's doing. Unfortunately, most of those stories are not happy stories because I've said no a lot of the time. And most of those stories aren't even stories. It's just me plugging along with my life and doing my own thing and building my own thing and God's always inviting and I'm ignoring. But when I don't, when I listen and I respond and I adjust my life to Him, I know Him better and I see Him in new ways. And sometimes that's really, really simple. This morning, my daughter Piper, during worship, just laid her head on my lap, and I got to wrap my arm around her, and instead of just ignoring that event, I I was there for a minute, and I just delighted in God at the opportunity to hold my daughter. The other day, I was with my older boys. We were shoveling dirt, and there was this moment of revelation and just this peace and thinking, what a blessing it is to be able to shovel dirt with my boys. And I'm guessing they were not actually having that moment at the same time. <laughs> but I just was aware of how cool it is to be with God in the simple things. And I want to share some of the bigger crisis of faith moments, some of the story of my life. But even as I share the big picture story, I want to be careful to say at the beginning that the big events are not the most important events. That the, the little day-to-day, moment-by-moment events are the ones that matter the most. It's like I could take Anda and my wife and we could go every five years to Italy on a vacation. And it would be really terrible if we didn't have a relationship. If we hadn't talked for the five years between those trips. But if we have relationship and intimacy, we know each other, and then we go on that trip, then it's a really cool story. And that's what God, I'm sharing the story, but I want you to know, most of the crises of faith we have are real small. They're real simple. They're nothing major. It's just this or that. 
It's just opening our eyes and being aware. But when we say yes to joining with God and what He's doing every moment of every day, we come to know Him. And we know that He loves us. And we experience Him in ways we never have. I actually prepared this sermon in a kindergarten classroom. I was in a little red chair at a little red table. And it was really peaceful. But about a year before, that classroom had been a lawnmower shop. The man who ran the shop is 93 years old. His name is Mr. Cox. And down the road from where that shop was and that kindergarten classroom is, there's a little corner store that just a couple weeks ago, a car drove through a cinder block wall, made a big hole in it, just so they could steal some cigarettes and petty cash. The guys that stay on the corner, it seems like every minute of every day, there's a crowd of about 30 people just sitting on the corner. Many of them are drug dealers or addicted to drugs. Mr. Cox has discipled many of them. Uh, One of the guys asked me for 35 cents yesterday. I gave him 35 cents. He used to clean Mr. Cox's lawnmowers for him, and I've never seen him sober. So that's where the kindergarten classroom is now, and I want to tell you the story of how we got there. I want to start on a mountainside in Romania. Uh, Some of you guys may have heard this story before, but it's really important to me. I'd finished college, and Anda and I had been married about six months before. I was scheduled to start medical school in about two months, and we went on a mission trip to Romania. I wanted her to see the world. (laughs) We saw the world, and we saw the need, and it was gypsies and orphans and widows and people in desperate need. And we saw that God was working through some missionaries there, and we said, maybe this is what we're supposed to do. Maybe this is God's invitation to us. So when Anda and the team went to Dracula's castle for a really cool day of sightseeing, I went and climbed a mountain with God. And I sat on that mountain for hours with a Bible and a journal, just asking God, what are you doing and what are you inviting me into? And I ended the day with with absolute confidence that God was going to medical school and he was inviting me to go with him. And I was actually kind of terrified of that (laughs) because I didn't know a doctor in my whole family, anywhere around me that I respected. And I said, God, I'm not going unless you're going. And if you don't go with me, I can't do it. But he did. He went with me. We went back, and I became a doctor. A few years later, after finishing medical school, I had my residency, and we got to go on a, a trip to Togo in West Africa. I got to spend a month at a mission hospital there. I remember the last night of that experience. I'm walking through the wet grass, looking up at the African stars, and I'm going, God, this is your destiny for me. I feel it. I just know that this is what you're inviting me to do. So I came back home, and I said, Dear, we're going to be missionaries in Africa. And she said, Dear, we're not going to be missionaries in Africa. (laughs) And we had kind of some intense conversations. But through that, God spoke. And when he spoke, she was right and I was wrong. And instead, (laughs) it happens occasionally, a lot. I just need to say, it happens most of the time. My wife is very wise. (laughs) Almost, almost messed up. Okay, so... So anyway, um, instead of going to Africa, God brought us to this little weird church in Grapevine called Christ Fellowship. And we were part of the very first mission training school called Christ Fellowship Training School. 
And that's what God called us to. And it was really cool. A few weeks in or a few months in, there was a team going to Thailand. And and we were praying about whether we were supposed to go to Thailand with the Penningtons and Tubbs and others. And I remember we'd gotten away for a weekend and we were in a hotel room. I was sitting on the bed and it was an experience I've never had since. But it was like God was in the room. And I've had something similar to that, but not quite to this degree. And we just had this conversation and I, I want to actually, even as I share that, say that that's not the normal way that I hear God. Uh, as I talk about some of these big stories, it's like God talks to me all the time. I've never heard his voice. I've never seen him, you know, visibly. But when he speaks like that, it's usually the big stuff. Most of the way I hear God is just reading the Bible and praying and asking wise people and just trying to follow him the best I can. And it's not perfect. And I can tell you, once I put our house in the market, because I was sure he was calling us to the hood, and we, he wasn't, <laughs> She was like, why are you selling our house? Because like, God told me. And so I, I missed him a lot. Um, <laughs> I will say the things that come out of fear are normally not God. Uh, when, when you move out of fear, it's usually not God's voice. But anyway, back to what I was saying. So we're in this hotel room in Dallas, and God shows up, and he says, Randy, I don't want you to go to Thailand. I want you to spend the next 15 to 20 years here in Fort Worth helping to build a ministry of the poor at Christ Fellowship. I said, okay, God. And then I said, in 15 or 20 years, can we go to Africa? <laughs> and he said, uh, I literally, it was so clear. He said, ask me in 15 or 20 years. And I, I laugh at that now because it's been about 15 years. And if he said, no, in 15 years, you're going to be doing this. I'd have gone, no, no, I'll, I'll, whatever. I'm not doing that. But he didn't tell me what I was going to be doing now. So it's okay. <clears throat> Sometimes he just gives you just enough. So I heard this call from God to Fort Worth to help people in need, and so I started looking around trying to figure out where God was working. I knew I was supposed to be involved, but I didn't know where to start. So I went to this place called Beautiful Feet on the east side, and it was glorious, but that wasn't God's invitation to us. So I went to the north side and found Victory Outreach, and it was really amazing stuff, but that wasn't where God was inviting me. And I got frustrated because I was looking, trying to find the place, and finally I went to the library, the public library downtown, and I was going to research something. I'm not sure what, like how to help poor people in Fort Worth and who needed me. (laughs) I go to the library, and, "Um, ma'am, can you help me find out who needs me in Fort Worth and how I can help? And I walk into the library, and thankfully I didn't have to talk to the librarian. I saw right there at the front, as soon as I walked in, this rack of bus maps. And one of the bus maps said Como on it. And I'd heard of Como a couple times in my life. The first one was from Brian Bird way back years before when we'd been talking about places of need in Fort Worth. And, and uh, i just kind of stored it away and, and forgotten about it. But then a few weeks before, I was talking to Jamie about the struggle and trying to find where to invest and help. And he said, well, maybe Como. That's, that's not far from the church. So when I saw the bus map, I thought, this is it. So I took the map and I walked out of the library and I drove that bus map. I just drove through the neighborhood, and I remember at World Mandate years ago, I met a, uh, heard a lady named Jackie Pullinger, and Jackie Pullinger was an amazing woman of God. She moved into the walled city of Hong Kong, and her story was that God called her to go, and she didn't know where to go, and she kept saying, God, I can't go until you tell me where to go, and finally some guy said, well, just go, <laughs> so she went, so she got on a boat that had about, I don't know, 15 or 20 stops on it. And she just went to each place, waiting for God to tell her which one to stay at. 
And she said, when I got to Hong Kong, to the walled city, it was like the birds sang and heaven opened up and the angels were blessing and this was the place for me. And so she stayed and she spent 15 or 20 years seeing transformation happen in that drug-infested, godless place. So when I drove into Como, it was that kind of a feeling. It was like the birds were singing and heaven was open and God was saying, this is your walled city. This is your place. So I stopped and I was... At this point, I'd started taking a half day off off of my medical practice. So it was a Thursday afternoon. I'm dressed in my medical clothes, my slacks and nice shirt. And I get get out and talk to some guys who are drinking beer under a tree. And I say, hey, I want to help in the neighborhood. Anything you think I could do to help? (laughs) I wish you could have seen the look, actually. It was really funny. They just went, yeah, whatever. And and they did tell me that I was probably going to get arrested and that I should leave. That That was the summary of it. But at the end of it, one of the guys said, well, maybe you could do something to help the kids. And I was pretty sure I was going to do something more important than that. Uh, But I wasn't. That's actually what we've done for the rest of the time is help kids. Um, I looked around for places in that neighborhood to help. And I kept hitting closed doors. The, the guys drinking beer didn't help me. I t- called pastors and tried to go to churches looking for ways to help. And finally, God was at work in this lady named Betty, Miss Betty, at the public housing apartment complex. She was the assistant manager. Just a beautiful woman. And uh, so we started going, and sometimes she'd have somebody for me to pray for. Sometimes we'd just throw a ball with, throw a ball with the kids and just hang out. I had a Thursday afternoon block where I just went to Como and hung out. One of the times we were, Danda and I were pushing Mariah in the stroller. She's 12 now, so it was a while back. But uh, we were pushing around doing a prayer walk through the apartment complex. We came across this kid. He was about two years old in a diaper carrying a box with a tarantula in it. And we're like, where's your mom? And we said, what's your name? And he said, my name's Ozzy Osbourne. And see, that's old people laughing because the younger people... Don't know who Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne was one of those hard rock guys with like hair and stuff. And all I remember about him is at his concerts he would get chickens and bite their heads off. That was that was Ozzy Osbourne. So this little kid's named after him. And and uh, and yet when we met his mom, we saw that God was working, that He was doing something. And so we joined in there. And some of you who've been here long enough remember cleaning her apartment, and it was just filthy. I mean, layers of stuff. Um, we went to birthday parties. We invited her to church. She ended up coming and, and being part of a life group, getting baptized, and then leaving God completely. Just one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me. And I remember sitting in her apartment complex just pleading with her, please don't do this. And she did. But her boyfriend, who'd been there the whole time, but kind of went off and hid every time we showed up, After she went and left, he called us at midnight one night and said, I I don't know what to do. Through years of relationship with the church, he started coming to Christ Fellowship. He lived with the family here. He went off and did drugs for a while and learned to make meth. And he came back again. And in and out of struggles and addiction, he just walked with us. I remember a lot of the times I'd get a text from Oklahoma and he'd say, I don't think you'll ever see me again. I think this is the end of my life. And I'd say, come back home, and I wouldn't get anything back in response. But he finally ended up coming back, 
And I remember the day he was sitting about where Roger is. And this man named Raul at the end of the service turned around and, and shared the gospel with Dave just one more time. And this time he said yes. And his life is completely changed. <laughs> yeah. You probably see him sometimes. He's not here very often because he's a truck driver now. He's got a job, and uh, he usually sits back there in the back. But the other day, I was talking to him in my living room, and he said, I'm just so thankful to be free from that addiction. And he's living it out, and he's doing God's story for his life. And it doesn't look like my story or your story. It's his story. Well, after uh, a, a few years in Como, we started a camp for the kids from Como Elementary School, third, fourth, and fifth graders. We called it Opportunity Camp. And actually, thankfully, I didn't have to do it. Again, God was at work. He brought a guy who'd been running the camp for years to move to this area to start it. And I'll tell you, in that camp, we all experienced God. <laughs> it, was, it was a rough experience, but it was beautiful. And uh, I remember the first time sitting there at the camp. There was about 50-something kids. And I had this kind of a vision of what, what was going on. They're having fun, they're laughing, they're innocent little kids. And I picture them like they're on a river floating on an inner tube. And in, in my mind's eye, I can see ahead there's a waterfall with rocks at the bottom. And they're headed to destruction unless something changes. So I said, God, what can I do? There's 50-something kids, I can't disciple that many kids, what do I do? And he led us to write letters to 12 little boys. Nikki's brother was one of those boys. And 10 of those boys joined our group. We called Dr. Brown's Mighty Men. And I said, here's the deal. I want you guys to be leaders. No, there they are. <laughs> Who follow Jesus and change Como in the world. And the youngest of those guys in the green is Deontay. The guy with the devil. Actually, the back of that shirt says something like, I'm going to beat you up or something. So it's actually a good shirt, but... <laughs> The guy with the devil's shirt on. <laughs> That's Nikki's brother, Delilah. But Deontay now is grown. They're all grown now. Uh, Deontay graduated high school a little over a year ago. <clears throat> and I love those boys. And we, there was a group of men that just invested in them and gave an hour or two a week just to teach them how to follow Jesus and be men of God. I remember when we first started the group, we were a leadership training on a Saturday morning, leadership community, at the old building, at the offices up on Hewlin. And Jamie just shared something in passing. He said, you know, I think Randy may have stumbled onto something here. I think this may be part of his destiny. And, and I doubt he even remembers the comment, but for me it was really significant. And I thought, I think this may be my destiny. These little ten boys may be leading me into something that I don't even know about. <laughs> and I can tell you for sure now that this this was a huge step in the destiny that God's called us to. But it was also really, really painful. Because I could point to boys who are men now. One of them's doing great. He's in college. He's getting his nursing degree. He loves God. He's passionate. Uh, one of them's in college and doesn't love God. Most of them are not even in college. One lives in his car right now. One came to my house not too long ago to show me his son 
and talked to me about how he had to carry a gun around to protect himself and he was planning to kill his enemies. And you know what? When I was doing that, the mentoring, God was at work. And it didn't look anything like I expected it to be, but he was working even then. I remember I had my 40th birthday party about four years ago. And it was right in the middle when things were just falling apart. The wheels were coming off. It was, it was ugly. And I had this big party to celebrate my 40th. And it was friends from church. And we'd moved into the neighborhood by this point. So there's friends from the neighborhood and my family from out of town. And I just remember feeling so empty, so sad and so alone, surrounded by all these people who love me. And I stood up at the end and, and all I could say was, thanks for sticking with me. And, and I felt like my life wasn't making any difference at all. Really, I, I, I was depressed. And I really just wanted to quit. And this morning, I just want to say that there's hope in those times. Because I know there's people in this room today who feel that way. It, it, it comes. Just, it, you get through it, and you get happy again, and then it comes back. And you want to quit again. And, think, and you don't see God working. And I just want to tell you, God is working all the time. He was working in the middle of when I couldn't see Him. All I knew was that He loved me. But He's been working through all of it. So anyway, my discouragement, I got into farming. <laughs> I'm a doctor. I grew up in the city. <clears throat> had no business farming. But I bought an organic gardening encyclopedia and just started reading it cover to cover. I got through like the L's. So ask me about artichokes or blackberries or something. But don't give me the, the end of the alphabet because I don't know. <clears throat> but I read all this stuff about how to plant organic garden stuff. I bought six chicks and started a compost pile. And so I was ready to go. I was excited. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to write a book someday called Six Chicks in a Compost Pile and see what uh, I think it could be fun. That was not meant to be inappropriate. <laughs> Scratch that from the record, please. <clears throat> wow. Okay, so am I sweating? <laughs> so anyway, I got into gardening so I could make something grow, so I could plant a seed and see a seed grow into something beautiful and bear fruit. And so the first time I had chickens make eggs, <laughs> I, don't know where I'm going with I was so excited because there was some fruit from it. I'm going to move on. Okay, so then I, <clears throat> I found myself a couple years into this at a conference in Dallas, a farming conference. And uh, I'm sitting in a room. I've taken a day off of my medical practice to do this. So I'm at the farming conference, and I'm sitting around surrounded by farmers, and I'm a doctor who's just sitting there. Well, I had some boots by then, so I wore my boots so I'd look like a farmer. <clears throat> and I loved it. It was so cool. They taught me how to rotationally graze my cattle and how to measure the fence line without having a tape measure and how much water to give and all these great things about how to be a farmer, how to even get the pigs to stir the compost for you so you don't have to stir the compost. And <clears throat> I just loved every minute of it. I was so excited. I was driving home thinking, yes, I'm going to be a farmer. And then I thought, who am I kidding I'm not a farmer. I'm never going to be a farmer. I'm a doctor, and I'm going to keep being a doctor, and this whole farming thing is really kind of stupid. And so it, we were driving to Midland, and uh, 
I was going to see my family at Christmas a few weeks later, and I just talked to Anda on the way, and I said, you know, this whole farming thing, I've got I've to let it go. I've got to just um, move on and disciple the boys that I'm discipling and pay attention to them. But the farming thing is a great dream, but I'm done with it. And she, I don't even know what she said in response, but uh, she just kind of let it go. So at Christmas, <clears throat> my parents gave me a Christmas gift. I opened the box, and there was a little Fisher-Price farm in there. I think I've got a picture of it, actually. But yeah, there it is. Isn't that nice? So it's really cool. It's an old, real fish. It actually, the, when you open the door, it goes, it's really cool. It's got the little plastic chickens and cows and horses and a little fence and tractor and stuff. So that, that's nice of my mom to give that to me. I can play with that and pretend to be a farmer. <clears throat> but in the box, there was a note. And the note said, we want to help you get a farm. And neither one of us had any idea what that meant. My, my mom and dad didn't know. We didn't know. They just were, wanted to help because they heard that we really wanted a farm. And so we went away. Anna and I had our 20th anniversary. So we, we took a trip, and I had some time just to pray and ask God. <clears throat> and I didn't really know what to do, but it was this crisis of faith point where I had to decide. What, I had to find out what God was doing and decide whether I was going to join him. So really, part of me wanted to go move out to the country and ignore the people that I'd spent my life with in the last few years and just be alone with my family and grow some stuff and have some pigs and chickens and, and just be out there. But as I listened to God, as we prayed, I knew God was doing something different, and it was really a sense that it was really big, and I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, but I wrote it down. And there was this vision I, I had of what it's going to look like in five years. It was a 100-acre farm and a boarding school where the kids live on the farm. And it's a a farm for the kids from Como to live and learn. And I I wrote out this vision and I put it in an email and I sent it to my mom and dad. And I'm sure when they read it, I wish I could have seen their faces like, huh, (laughs) that's not the birthday present I was going to give you, (laughs) the Christmas present. But as they prayed and as God worked, God led us to find this golf course that was about 100 acres, right on the east side of Fort Worth. And it really felt like God, so we got together and we eventually put a bid on this golf course. And I was so excited. I took Anda out there to pray over the golf course, and as we prayed, I was just praying in destiny and blessing, and at the end of the time, she said, I just don't feel like this is it. And I was pretty mad at her. Um, She described like, Underneath this black, slimy stuff. She said, I just had this image of black stuff. And it wasn't good. And I said, no, that's oil, and that's good. It's going to pay for everything. <clears throat> it's going to self-sustain with the oil underneath. Yeah. And she said, no, that's not oil. <clears throat> and so I had to wrestle with this. Am I going to listen to my wife and trust her? Am I just going to go ahead? And I knew enough now to know that she's usually right. <clears throat> and so when the time came that we had to either raise the bid or let it go, we let it go. And I remember just thinking, okay, that's the end of the dream. But God in his goodness never brings us to the end of the dream. So we found another, strangely enough, a golf course a a few weeks later. And we got a contract on a 120-acre golf course right at the edge of town. It's this beautiful piece of property. And it was looking like everything was going and everything was moving forward. I went to... Uh, share this vision with a friend of mine 
named Terrence. And Terrence said, you got to go visit this place called Happy Hill Farm. I said, okay. Happy Hill was in Granbury. So it's a boarding school and farm for kids from underprivileged background that's run by Christians. So I went out there, and it was, again, one of those moments where it felt like God was just moving. And so I sat down, and this 80-something-year-old man walks out with his cane, just kind of limping out, and he sits down. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I was about 40 years old when I started this thing. And I thought, I'm about 40 years old. And I've been wasting my life for about 40 years, it feels like, so I'm ready. This feels like God. And all of a sudden, there was hope stirring up again. And I could see that God was doing something again. And so I kept asking him questions about how he's doing what he's doing. And at one point, I said, how do I do this in Fort Worth? (laughs) And with his elderly wisdom, he said, son, um, I've been doing this for 40 years, and I can't really answer that question in an hour or two. I'm sorry. (laughs) It takes a little time. He said, if you'll call me when you get to trouble, I'll help you through it. And so I, I left, and I knew what I wanted to do. I was excited. I just didn't really know what God was doing. So then once we got the property under contract, we'd gone to Opportunity Camp a few weeks later, and I was sitting in the prayer room at Opportunity Camp. And on on the wall, there's pictures of all the kids that are campers. And all of a sudden, I just got this heaviness, and I got overwhelmed thinking about raising money for the next 100 years or whatever it was going to be. And all the things that would have to happen to start a boarding school for kids from Como that couldn't afford to pay for any kind of school. And I said, God... Do we really have to do this? And again, I don't usually hear God so clearly, but it felt like God said, no, you don't. And I said, what would happen if we don't? (laughs) And I felt like he said, nothing. Absolutely nothing will happen. Nothing will change if you don't. And I looked at the pictures of the kids on the wall, and I just started weeping. Because I'd been there 10 years, and I knew what nothing looked like. I'd seen kids go from third grade to adult. And I knew that something had to change. So I said, God, I'm in. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to do it. I have no skills at all to bring to this thing, but I'm ready. But there was this constant, um, even as there was hope stirring, there was this constant battle I'm going through. Because I I felt like it was God, but I wondered if maybe it was just me. I don't know if you've ever been there. (laughs) Where you're doing something, you're pretty sure it's God, but you're not sure it's God. And you're about to fall flat on your face if it's not. And you don't want to do something that gets a whole bunch of people going, and then you realize that wasn't God at all. One morning, a, a little bit after that, I was away on a weekend where I could sleep in as late as I wanted. And I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning wide awake. And again, it was like God was standing next to the bed. I don't usually wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning wide awake. So I knew something was happening. And it wasn't a conversation this time. It was just God speaking to me. He said, Randy, I've got three things to tell you. The first one is that I love you more than you will ever know. The second is that I'm with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And the third one is, I'm going to start a school that's a farm. (laughs) So immediately there's a sense of peace that comes over me, and I thought, okay, now I know. 
as much as I can know in my human frailty, I know that God's doing this and I can join with him. And I don't have to go out and tell people my great ideas and hope they follow me. I can tell them I really feel confident that God is doing this. So things happened pretty fast after that. We did this whirlwind tour around the country. We uh, got to visit different boarding schools. One of them was started by a guy with a couple bucks in his pocket and a newspaper. He was walking through, sat down on a log and found this kid walking up to him who he eventually taught to read and the kid brought his friends and eventually that turned into a boarding school for black kids in Mississippi. Now that's the oldest historically black boarding school in the country. It's been around over 100 years and we got to see the story of how God had worked from this one man to build this boarding school. And it stirred faith in my heart. And we got to go to Washington, D.C. We visited seven different schools in three days. It was ridiculous. But one of them, Washington, D.C., the lady was a Christian lady who started a boarding school that was a public boarding school. She actually got an act of Congress to fund it. And she told stories of how God was working. And and there were limits because it was a public school. But on the weekends, she would take them to church with her. And it was just this challenge saying, God can do anything. So we came back, and our last stop was at Happy Hill. And we sat down in their boarding room, and the team that was gathered to kind of strategize this whole thing just sat down and said, okay, what's God doing in Fort Worth? What's God doing with us? Where is God working? I prayed for the dream team because I literally had no skills to bring. (laughs) I'm not a farmer. I'm, I'm a doctor who knows nothing about farming, obviously. And I'm not an educator. I can't raise money. I'm not a business guy who can create this great business. So I said, God, I'm in for whatever that's worth. But I need the dream team. I don't need just a few people that can help. I need the team that can do this. We had a consultant who came on that trip with us. Really neat man of God. He knows more about urban education than anybody in the country probably. And he sat us down and he said, you guys could look all over the country and you could spend a half a million dollars and you're not going to be able to find the man that can run this. (laughs) And by God's grace, it ended up that my friend Terrence, one of my best friends in the world, I met him actually at a church potluck when Christ Fellowship took a potluck to a church in Como and I met him. I said, what about Terrence? And Terrence is now our executive director. Bernard, when he called him, the guy, the consultant, Talked to him on the phone, and then afterwards he called me and said, this is exactly the right guy for this job. He's the one guy that can do it, because he had to take my vision and implement it, and we had to work together as friends and a team, and it's just so fun to see how God is working. We prayed for a head of school, and God brought a lady who's got her doctorate in education. She has worked at private Christian schools. She led Tony Evans School in South Dallas. And she loves farming. (laughs) She's got little grow boxes out there. And we prayed for a farmer. And God brought Homer Hawthorne. I just love, even saying his name makes me happy. (laughs) Homer is this guy that's, when we first started the thing, uh, you know, we got all this stuff going on. I'm like, yes, here we go. And God, in his wisdom, basically cut my legs out from under me. And we ended up, Ann and I were just hit a wall, and we went through marriage counseling for, I don't know, six months, a year. So I'm basically incapacitated. I'm counseling every week and weeping and struggling with all this stuff in marriage and life. And God brought this team that picked it up and carried it and built it. 
And I remember Homer was not just the farmer, but he was also my counselor through that whole thing. He's, he was a missionary farmer in Brazil for 11 years. He spent years and years on the mission field. And every time he talks, he talks like a farmer. And he just knows just what to say. So where are we now? We don't have a boarding school yet. Our plan is to have a pre-K through 12th grade school and the older students to board out at the farm. Um, Right now we had our first year of kids. I think I've got a picture of it actually. That's our first class of River Tree Academy. I'm sorry, 46 kids. Just finished a year that changed their lives forever. And as they continue to grow, I can't wait to see what God does with them. Next year, we're planning to have 72 kids and just to see what God does as he works. I wasn't at the last day of school. Uh, I got a few more pictures. I just want to run through. These are fun. Um, This is class. I don't know if you can read that, but um, I can't really read it. God gave my family, I think that's safety is what it says. Uh, class is just cool. When you walk in, God's changing things. This is the kindergarten classroom where I composed the sermon. Terrence, the, oh wait, go back to that one because I want to. <clears throat> Terrence is the guy in the back. He's our executive director. The guy in the front is Lindy and Lexi's dad. And he has been praying for us for years and years and years. And he came to a prayer night, and just the picture of him praying over these children. ah, God's working. God is at work, and it's beautiful. Um, We have our farm campus we've been using for farming. There's the next picture. They got to ride horses one day. That was kind of fun. They've got the orchard, uh, 250 chickens. That's our blackberries. This kid actually is uh, the nephew of one of my mighty men. The next picture, I think, is them with the chickens. That's the 250 chickens out there. But God's at work, and God's doing things. I think there's one more picture of the whole group in a casual pose. (laughs) The one in the middle with her arms crossed, that's kind of her. You should meet her. Beautiful kid. I wasn't at the last day of school, but uh, I was actually covering for Dr. Bird, who's over in um, Greece doing mission work. So I was working for him. But the last day of school, I heard they had open mic. And one of the kids stood up and she said, I'm thankful for Dr. Brown because he said yes to God and started a school. <laughs> and I just want to say, I didn't start the school. Even as you hear the story, you can tell I couldn't have started a school. But God brought a team that did it. And, and more importantly, God took our little three-year-old hands and our little hammer. And he wrapped his hand around ours and he's continuing to let us join with him in what he's doing. And this morning, every one of us is a three-year-old. Every one of us is invited to do something bigger and greater than you've ever imagined, and it's not going to look like my story. His story for you is your story. And whether it's hugging your daughter, or shoveling dirt, or starting a church, it's your story, and God's inviting you to say yes, moment by moment, day to day, to what he's doing. Go ahead and have the ministry team come up here. I want to just close with an invitation. As you think about ways that we can respond, uh, there's some different things I think about. For some of us, it's just the awareness that God's working. Y'all go ahead and stand up. 
For some of us, it's just the awareness that God's working. And, and you've been just kind of living life and not paying attention to the God who is at work, and God's inviting you to join Him in what He's doing. If you've never said yes to relationship with God, then today is the day of salvation. Come and respond to God. If you've said yes, but you've just been kind of doing your own thing, just kind of working in your own strength and plugging away at your little pile of sticks, and you just want to lift up your head and say, God, whatever you're doing, that's what I want to do. I just want to be aware. I want to say yes to that. Then respond to God this morning. And maybe you're at a place where you're at a crisis of faith, where you know God's spoken something, you know he's called you to something, he's given you the invitation, and you have been wrestling with it. And you don't know which way to go or what to do. This morning I challenge you, come. I invite you to come and just say yes. He is good and faithful and he loves you. And he is inviting you this morning to come and experience him. So come, anything you need, just come on down.